I'm Andy Viano, a staff writer at the Flathead Beacon. Today is Friday, April 24th, and this is a special edition of the Beacon's update on the coronavirus and its impact on the Flathead Valley. Today, I'm bringing together The Beacon's two podcasts, this one and our true crime miniseries called Project 7. If you haven't heard Project 7 yet, I think you'll still find this podcast today informative, but you'll feel a lot more up to speed if you do listen first, especially to the most recent episode of Project 7, The Radical Within. And if you haven't heard Project 7 yet, you really should go subscribe today anyway and catch up on all the episodes you've missed. In the third episode of Project 7, you hear about the history of the modern militia movement in the inland northwest, from Aryan nations to Ruby Ridge to John Trockman and finally David Bergert, the subject of our podcast, and a man who would allegedly pull together a list of public officials for his militia to assassinate in order to trigger civil war. The militia's name was Project 7. Travis McAdam of the Montana Human Rights Network helped us navigate that history, and I talked to Travis again today on Zoom to understand the path that connects the militia movement of the 1990s and the recent protests over government stay-at-home directives and other measures related to the coronavirus outbreak. The conversation you're about to hear is also available as a bonus episode of Project 7, which is normally only available to members of the Flathead Beacon Editors Club. The first three episodes of Project 7 are out now, as are four bonus episodes featuring behind-the-scenes conversations about the show and extended interview clips. To get access to every bonus episode, join the Editors Club by going to beaconeditorsclub.com. And you can listen to Project 7 by visiting project7pod.com or via your favorite podcast app or smart speaker. One other recommendation before this episode begins. If you are not familiar with the protests that took place in Kalispell over the citywide state of emergency or the controversy surrounding Dr. Annie Bukacek, you may want to check out a pair of stories that are linked in the show notes or go back and listen to the April 20th episode of this podcast when I spoke with senior writer Tristan Scott. So here's your chance to hit the pause button. This interview will be waiting for you when you get back. Now, without further delay, here is Travis McAdam. And I start by asking Travis about those protests in Kalispell earlier this month. We've been watching the situation up in Kalispell, especially as as the response to, you know, the emergency declaration that the city council issued that, again, as far as we look at it, was done as a public health measure. Um, They did the same thing that pretty much every city and community in the state has done in response to the pandemic, which is declare a state of emergency, it allows them to access funds, it allows them a little bit more flexibility. But in the case of Kalispell, you had uh, really as a ringleader, Annie Bukacek, who was appointed in a very kind of controversial decision uh, by Flathead County Commission at the end of last year to the City County Health Board. So you have um, this person who has an MD, is a medical doctor, who is able to use really that credential along with currently serving on the city county health board 
to start raising this huge ruckus around the emergency declaration. And in doing so, you know, used language around how this was a step towards martial law, that this was kind of stomping on constitutional rights, and really using rhetoric that is exactly the type of rhetoric the militia movement uses. Really, anytime there's a, there's a national crisis or even just a crisis in a community, what anti-government militia groups, what white nationalists as well do, is they really try to tap into that fear and they try to exploit that fear. And, and in this case, when you have a public official like Annie Bukacek running around talking about martial law, that fits very easily into you know, these one world government conspiracy theories that the militia movement has been talking about for decades, which always involve um, you know, martial law being declared, citizens being disarmed, and then, you know, an invasion by the United Nations or whatever sort of international boogeyman they happen to plug into that narrative. So we've really seen around the country and here in Montana pretty much what we expected to see, which is anti-government groups that are really trying to use this situation and exploit this situation as a means of not only getting their message out there, but as potentially a recruiting opportunity to get people who are scared and concerned, basically hooked on one piece of this broader ideological agenda and hopefully reel them the rest of the way in. I'm curious because when, when we talked for Project 7 and, and talking about David Berger, you know, I know that you and, and the Montana Human Rights Network are monitoring these kind of groups. And then at some point, specifically with David Berger, you became more concerned that, that something dangerous could happen, that there might be, uh, you know, the possibility for, for some violent action. When you monitor these protests now, are we approaching that point or is it still right now just the, the rhetoric and, and it doesn't seem like it's heading anywhere beyond that? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, potentially in the last few weeks, there's started to be a little bit of a turn from just rhetoric to certain activities that we do find more concerning. I mean, there's been a lot of online chatter from some of the people sort of leading this rebellion against the, the Kalispell City Council and Mayor, where, you know, they've been talking about, hey, we want to we wanna find the mayor's address. We want to find where some of these people live. And want to show up and protest at their homes and people are using language around you know and yeah and let's bring like the pitchforks out and and so I think that initially it, it very much felt like okay there's this rhetoric and it definitely connects into this broader anti-government ideology but there are some things that are concerning and I don't necessarily think that we're sort of at a Dave Berger project seven level of concern but I think that when you go from rhetoric and complaining about something that the city of Kalispell did to individually starting to target public officials and start talking about targeting them at home and protesting at their home and, and doing those types of activities, I, I would say that that definitely raises the concern level a little bit because all of a sudden we're not talking about a difference in ideas and a difference in values and even a different worldview, we're talking about targeting specific individuals 
because of the role that they've played in this, which again, we think is taking measures to protect public health and safety. Um, so I think that, you know, when you start to see that turn away from arguing about a policy that was passed or even, you know, slightly different worldviews to targeting of individuals, that that's of concern. I know you, you can't, you don't want to generalize too much, but who who are the people who are getting involved in these protests? And, and I, I don't know how closely you've been, you know, you and your group have been aware of Annie Bukacek before now or some of the other leaders. Are these kind of the, the people that you expected to pop up or are there some new people and new groups who are, are involved here? Yeah, I think it's really a mixture of both. We've been aware of Annie Bukacek for a long time. Her coalition was a part of numerous attempts to qualify these fetal personhood ballot initiatives um, that basically would say that a fertilized egg has constitutional rights. And we were part of efforts to try to keep those measures from qualifying for the ballot. Um, so we've known Annie for quite a while in that context. She's somebody that's shown up at Montana legislative sessions and testified in subcommittees. And so I think you know, we've, we've been aware of her for a while and, and we're not really surprised when she was one of the ringleaders of this. So there, there are people that are well known. I think that she is among a contingent of people involved in this who also attend Chuck Baldwin's Liberty Fellowship. Um, Chuck Baldwin is another person who is pretty well known. I always refer to him as the unofficial pastor of the militia movement. When he and his family moved up here from Florida, you know, he talked a lot about how they were moving to the Rocky Mountain West because this was going to be where good God-fearing patriots would make their final stand against the federal government. So again, he very much comes out of that anti-government militia crowd. So I think that the fact that quite a few people who are either, you know, part of the Liberty Fellowship or you know, I guess you could say maybe allies of Baldwin and the Fellowship are involved in this doesn't really surprise us much. There have been a few new kind of people that we weren't aware of before that seem to have been kind of activated by this. Um, so I think it is a little bit of a, a mix of, of what you could call old and new people, but I do feel like a, a, a big driving force behind this obviously is Annie Bukacek, and I think that her relationship to the Liberty Fellowship and, and Chuck Baldwin is also a pretty frequently shared trait of a lot of the people involved. I wonder if we can we can pause on that for just a, another second. Mm -hmm. Liberty Fellowship has been uh, relatively quiet, I guess, in the last few years. For for those people who are not familiar with Chuck Baldwin, can you explain uh, who he is and, and what Liberty Fellowship is? Yeah, so Chuck Baldwin um, has really had a national profile in kind of the anti-government patriot movement for decades. He and his family used to live in Florida, had a similar church there that from sort of a religious standpoint has, you know, follows very conservative fundamentalist Christianity views, They're very anti-choice, um, generally anti-LGBTQ. But I think that, you know, once they moved up here, it was, it really was a big deal for the Patriot movement because it wasn't like all of a sudden they were like, oh, okay, we're going to move to Montana and they moved to Montana. They made a huge deal, as I mentioned earlier, about 
we made this decision specifically because we think, you know, this this end game that's going to involve God-fearing Americans fighting off the federal government is going to happen in the Rocky Mountain West. We want to move to Kalispell because that's where we're going to make our last stand. So they moved up into the Flathead area. And as, you know, the Project 7 podcast discusses, there's been a long history of both, you know, militia and white nationalist types up in the Flathead area. Not surprisingly, as they got established here and started the Liberty Fellowship, you started to see some of those folks became people that went to his church. When he came up here, you know, there was one huge public meeting he had that there were a hundred or so people. We've heard that generally, like, as far as people that show up to his church every Sunday, it tends to be more in that, you know, 30 to 40 range. But again, I think it's it's a case where if you just look at Chuck Baldwin and Liberty Fellowship and who shows up there on the weekends, it can feel like, oh, like, that's not enough people that they can really accomplish anything if you're just going by strict numbers. Um, and so then I think it's important that people understand that Chuck Baldwin's influence and, and what he represents and what he's part of is much bigger than just Kalispell. It's much bigger than just the people that come and listen to him on Sunday. And so that, you know, that, that, that larger voice he has, that larger presence he has, definitely extends beyond Montana. I know he just sent out an email to his list today or yesterday where he talked about a lot of these issues and he talked about what was going on in Kalispell and he encouraged people to show their support for Annie Bukacek. And I think that that's one of the, one of the pieces that is, is pretty, pretty concerning to us. Again, to talk in a little bit larger context. So you have Ammon Bundy over in Idaho and up in Northern Idaho now who has been encouraging people to defy shelter in place orders and defy social distancing orders. And for people who may not recognize the name Ammon Bundy, just to give a little bit of background on the Bundy family, they're the ones that had the really high profile armed standoffs with federal agencies, both in Nevada and out in Oregon. And this is a, you know, a family that's constantly looking for their next opportunity. And members of that family have been up in Northwestern Montana a handful of times over the last few years. And we've spent a lot of time talking to communities about, you don't want the Bundys to come in and try to quote unquote solve a situation for you. You know, that we don't want them to be, we don't want the next armed standoff to be here in Montana, um, in the Flathead area or anywhere else. So one of the things is though, Ammon Bundy, because of the Bundy family, has a national profile. But with Annie Bukacek, you have somebody who has this video that's now been viewed upwards of almost a million times. And she has a level of credibility, or at least perceived credibility, that an Ammon Bundy doesn't have, because she is a medical doctor. She can reference that she sits on the city county health board. So one of the concerns that we have is that because of some of these, you know, pieces of paper of, of credibility, you know, that go to her being a doctor, she's appointed to this board, I worry makes her a very appealing ally for someone like Ammon Bundy, who's looking for his next opportunity, 
And as the crow flies, you know, Ammon's over there organizing in Idaho two hours away. And so I think that one of the concerns that we really have is not just the negative impact that this is having on the Kalispell community right now, but is, you know, does this open up a potential or give an opening to people like Ammon Bundy from outside the community to come in and blow up the situation and make it even worse? I wonder too then if I could sort of take your temperature on on where the situation is now. Obviously, Governor Bullock on Wednesday ruled out how he's going to ease restrictions here in Montana, but that's I think generally not the case elsewhere in the country. Is this, uh, I guess, battle for for lack of a better word, still heating up, or or do some things like what Governor Bullock did Wednesday? Are you seeing it, it start to kind of calm things down? Um, I mean, I think that it sort of depends on the audience. So I think that we at MHRN often use an analogy of a funnel cloud for how people get pulled into these movements. So at the big end of a funnel cloud, you have people kind of being attracted in for various reasons, guns, taxes, property rights, they're scared of a pandemic. So you have people that sort of get attracted into this funnel cloud for a lot of reasons and some of those people stay on the big end for a while and then they kind of spin back out the analogy that we use is is then as you have people that go that kind of stay in and start to go down in the funnel cloud you get to those folks who they become activists in the movement they become the people who no longer believe anything that mainstream media says, that they only believe you know, Infowars and Alex Jones. They start to really not take in any information that doesn't reinforce this emerging worldview that they have. And in the funnel cloud, if you go all the way through the funnel cloud, what pops out the other end is somebody like Timothy McVeigh or Dave Berger, you know, people who go from just thinking and talking about these conspiracies, actually doing something that's generally violent or, or, or violent planning of some kind. So I think in this instance, some of those people that have been kind of at the big end of the funnel cloud brought in because of their fears around the pandemic, whatever those are. I think the fact that you know the governor is going into this phased reopening and things are going to start to look and feel a little bit more like quote unquote normal, I think a lot of those folks may kind of spin back out and just resume their daily lives and feel like, okay, things are getting better. I think though, when you talk about Annie Bukacek and you talk about Chuck Baldwin and you talk about Emin Bundy and those folks, for them, this battle between what they believe are, you know, good, God-fearing American patriots and what they see as this overarching evil government, that battle continues to play out for them every day. And I think that, you know, you, you've really gotten a sense for that in the Project 7 podcast talking about Dave Berger, that this issue is real to them every day. So I think that there's definitely a contingent of that crowd that really no matter what the governor does or what the local city council does to address the situation um, are not going to feel like enough has changed. And so how that continues to play out, I'm not sure. I mean, it sure seems like Bukacek serving on the city county health board 
is now a pretty big political flashpoint that people are either really wanting the commission to remove her or really wanting the commissioner to leave her on. So I think that regardless of the, the lifting of some of the restrictions around COVID-19, I, I think there are pieces of this that are gonna continue to play out. Um, and I think that while some people are going to look around and feel like, okay, life is going back to normal, there are others who are gonna feel like this battle against an evil government is still going on. I, I like the uh, that funnel cloud on that analogy, Teresa. Makes uh, makes a lot of sense. And I, I'm I'm wondering, it's I guess less related to to COVID nineteen, but when we're talking about David Bergert in the late 1990s, early 2000s, he's on a you know an email newsletter and he's calling into a, a talk radio show. In 2020, we've got like you mentioned, uh, you know, all kinds of different. TV networks or online sources or social media or anywhere else, but how much easier is it now for people to get sucked into that funnel cloud, either at first or then go all the way down just because of, of how available information is these days? I think that's a really good point. And I know, you know, there are some, I know that it seems like there are more and more studies coming out around, around that issue, but you know, one of the things we've started talking a lot about during the pandemic is this situation is in some ways tailor-made for anti-government patriots and white nationalists because they're constantly putting content out on social media especially and that right now you've had more people stuck at home looking, you know, on their computers looking for things to do and Oftentimes, you know, what I would call kind of smart social media users in that world will try to figure out, okay, how do I, how do I get a video that's maybe a little bit more watered down, but how do I get that onto kind of an alternative health website, or how do I get that onto a survivalist website, or some, you know, somebody that's selling the, you know, 100-pound tins of flour, you know, like, how, how do I, how do I get a watered down, like pretty rational sounding video or article onto one of these websites that people may be going to more and more these days. So I think that, you know, again, going back to that funnel cloud is that as people start to move down in that funnel cloud and they start really only taking in information that sort of reaffirms this emerging narrative that they have, you used to have to wait a week. You know, it used to be 20 years ago that you had to wait for the hard copy newsletter to show up in your mailbox, or you had to wait for that VHS or DVD tape that you ordered to show up. So I think your point about now, if people have an internet connection at home, or if they can get to a local library that has an internet connection, like they can tap into all of this material that reaffirms this message that you know the government is evil the mainstream media is evil whatever that message is yeah it's much easier to find you know sources that 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 back that up and i think that that is a real a real issue and i think that you know again over these last 6 8 weeks or so that that's been something that a lot of people have been talking about, and you've probably seen the media articles about, you know, both kind of anti-government and white nationalist folks trying to spend a lot of time interjecting their views and their videos and their articles and their information into these sources 
where people have just been kind of going looking for answers and help. Has there, and I'll let you, I'll let you go in just a second. Has there been, if you want to go back to something you said before about Ammon Bundy just sort of always looking for a, a, an opportunity to, to stick his nose in somewhere and get involved. When, I guess, before the COVID-19 pandemic, I mean, when was the last that you can think of kind of big moment that got militia types and, and white nationalist groups excited in the way that they are now as, as here's an opportunity to bring more people in? I mean, I really think the last big one was Ammon Bundy and his crew at the Wildlife Refuge out in Oregon. I mean, I think that that was, again, it was still regional, but it, it definitely had a huge impact nationally on the Patriot Movement. I would say that was the big one. You know, when you do the work that I do, you see newspaper clippings and other things from, you know, all around the region where, you know, there'll be these little dust-ups over everything from, you know, an ordinance that a local community passes to um, people being mad because the Forest Service is going to shut down this certain road that goes through a forest, you know, so there's, it feels like, especially throughout, you know, the West as a whole, there are always these sort of little battles or kind of these little dust-ups that happen. But I do really kind of feel like the last one that sort of gave the Patriot movement this feeling of having some juice and having some power nationally, I think maybe was the standoff at the Wildlife Refuge, was, was kind of the, the, the one that pops into my mind at least. My thanks to Travis McAdam for once more taking time to talk and for providing Justin and I with some incredibly valuable resources and some of the audio recordings that you hear in Project 7. Remember, bonus episodes like this one are normally available exclusively to members of the Flathead Beacon Editors Club. So if you're enjoying Project 7, sign up for the club for as little as $5 per month at beaconeditorsclub.com to get extra content like this and to help continue to make the work produced by the entire Flathead Beacon team possible. Once more, that's beaconeditorsclub.com. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. <laughs>